Hi, my name is Aaron Apke, and this is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, where we highlight the strength of our city, the spirit of our people, and share your stories of compassion. Welcome back to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker, and today's episode is truly something special. I have with us Aaron Abke, who was born and raised a pastor's son in the Silicon Valley of California. He desired to work in church ministry like his father and went to college at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, graduating with a bachelor's degree in music and theology. He spent one year working as a full-time worship pastor at a church in San Jose until at 23, he felt called to leave his religion and pursue a deeper and more authentic spirituality. At 27 years old, Aaron had a dramatic spiritual awakening that changed the course of his life. He was working as a signed fitness model in San Francisco and competing at the national level in men's bodybuilding at the time, and he completely walked away from his former life and into a brand new space of being. Aaron's passion is to share the path of inner freedom and self-realization with the world, and he does so today via YouTube, where he has over 100,000 followers. He's also on social media. Of course, he does meditation classes, workshops, and seminars. Aaron's belief is that lasting joy and peace are everyone's birthright and are attainable for anyone who truly desires them. This is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. Make sure you stay tuned to the end because at the close of this episode, we feature a very special rendition of Coldplay's Fix You. You're going to love it. This is Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Today's guest is Aaron Apke. And without further ado, let's get into it. Well, Aaron, welcome to the podcast. I am excited to really be meeting you today and to be introduced to your expression of compassion in the world. What I'd love for us to get into today is how your spirituality impacts your compassion. And then also how your history with your sports performance and all of that has led you to where you are today. So my first question is, is simple. It's, it's heavy, but it's simple. And that is, who are you and how do you define compassion? Well, who am I? Uh, that's the ultimate question, right? <laughs> uh, what I do in the world is um, I do a lot of spiritual teaching on YouTube, uh, hold workshops, um, I do master classes and uh, counseling and things like that. So that's kind of my, my function in the world. Um, but how I define compassion, you know, it's such a great question because to me, compassion is, is just another word for love. Um, or you could say, I think compassion is kind of the way love expresses itself in physicality. And so I think compassion for anyone has to start first with compassion for yourself and uh, one, of my, one of my main spiritual practices, if not my main spiritual practice, is forgiveness, um, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, which is also another way of saying acceptance, accepting things as they are. And so I think if you practice, you know, being compassionate with yourself, you know, when you, when you mess up or <clears throat> when you don't meet your own standards or whatever, you have to be able to accept where you are in that moment uh, with all your imperfections and whatnot. And if you get in the habit of doing that with yourself, then that will naturally project itself out into the world. And when you see somebody else messing up or being unconscious or what have you, 
then the natural reaction is that's just where they are right now. And I can understand that. And so to me, that's how compassion, um, how I use compassion for myself and how it then kind of flows out into my reality. And this has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. No, that was <laughs> so good. Like you gave us so much in that introduction. I, I am so appreciative that you said compassion is really another word for love. The forgiveness piece, which is acceptance, I think is huge. And I just kind of putting that all in one ball really gets us centered, gets us present, and allows us to live in this world in a way where we don't harm others, including ourselves, and even entering into the space of recognition that others aren't really other. Exactly. Ramana Maharshi, have you heard that quote? I have not. They said, um, they said uh, Ramana Maharshi is a famous Indian sage. Uh, and there's a story where his disciple asked him, sir, how, how can we best love others? And his response was, there are no others. Oh, goodness. I've, I've heard that quote, but I didn't yeah. know where it was from. So love that. Yeah. So how does this work then practically? Now we're in the midst of a global pandemic and people are more anxious, more fearful, uh, more self-centered in a sense because we're, we're reverting back to a survival mechanism. How yeah. can we kind of interrupt that pattern in this moment? Great question. Um, I, I believe that compassion has to start with awareness, uh, being aware of, of what's, what's arising and what's happening. And so I think a great practice for anybody in this kind of a time with a lot of fear and, and strife going on in the world is, you know, there's conspiracy theories, there's politics, there's all kinds of things that people are worried about. And um, some people are even protesting right now. So the world's kind of in a, a, a pretty chaotic state at the moment. And I think that the best thing anyone, any one of us can do to have compassion is simply observe our own reaction to what's going on, right? So if somebody's, you know, we see groups of people protesting uh, the quarantine, and we're not going to stand for this. We have rights to be out in public as we want to. And then the reaction is, oh, these jerks, these idiots, they're going to spread the virus even worse and, and set us back. And so instead of getting caught up in that kind of a judgment, just observe your own reaction to what's happening, right? And if you find there is a judgment arising within you, then that's a moment of introspection, right? A moment of self-inquiry. Uh, why do I feel the need to judge them for what they're doing? Um, as most of us know, whatever I'm judging in another is a, a hidden aspect of myself that I'm judging. And so I need to find forgiveness for that part of me. And I think that's a little bit tricky, right? Because the whole concept of projection can get a bit confusing for people because they sometimes people think that projection means, well, if I'm upset that they're protesting the quarantine and putting us all at risk, that you're saying that that means I protest the quarantine, right? Mm -hmm. And the important distinction here is that projection always happens on the level of cause, not effect. So the effect of these people's behavior is the protesting. But the question is, what's the underlying cause of why they're out in the street protesting? Probably they're really afraid of what's going on and they need to take action. They feel like they need to do something to alleviate their fear, right? Mm -hmm. And so maybe I'm judging them for their panicked reaction of protesting because part of me judges myself when I get afraid or panicked. And so I can look at that part of me and forgive it. And that's really how spiritual growth happens. It happens through forgiveness, self-forgiveness. Um, you could look at forgiveness as an act that reduces, it's an act that eliminates karma inside of you, which then 
reduces the need for experience in this dimension. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So like whatever karma I haven't worked out in myself, life will keep bringing more situations in, into my reality that force me to look at that part of myself. So the sooner I am to forgive myself for what I'm judging in another person, uh, the sooner I am to eliminate my need to have those experiences keep reappearing, right? So I think that's the best thing anyone can do right now is rather than getting caught up in the judgments and the fear and the anger and whatever is happening out there, just observe your own reactions to all of it and then look inside yourself and ask yourself if there's something in you that needs healing. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point, which is people are responding in really the only ways that they know how. Yeah. If they're protesting, it's going back to that survival. How can we take control? What in this circumstance can I actually control or manipulate? How can I regain my sense of self-efficacy or sovereignty? How do I do that? Well, I can protest. I can, I can hoard toilet paper. You know, exactly. These people were, were buying all the toilet paper, but it was the one thing that they could do to make them feel secure. Right. So eliminating that judgment piece is huge. And I think that's how we bridge some of these gaps. One of the challenges we're having, so I'm based, of course, in Las Vegas, and right. we are impacted by this in a way that is unique to us because we are a tourist destination for the world. Right. And yet we're not as unique as we may think because people are feeling the same feelings mm-hmm. everywhere. So I, I love how you bring that out. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's a great time for all of us collectively to... Um, it's, it's, I think it's almost like Mother Earth has, has done this to bring up a lot of our collective unconsciousness to the surface, like the hoarding that's been going on. It's like, you know, the first couple of weeks of quarantine, you go to the grocery store and you can't find toilet paper, you can't find food. First um, I actually, weeks, I couldn't find it yesterday. I still probably, <laughs> right? Um, you got to strike gold somewhere to get toilet paper. And, uh, you know, I actually, um, my girlfriend and I got sick as soon as quarantine started. We got uh, bronchitis, a really bad case of bronchitis. So we have all this phlegm. We have, we're coughing like constantly. And we're go, we go to the store to try and find cough syrup. And the entire, all the shelves are empty of cough syrup because everyone's assuming they might get the coronavirus and trying wow. to get ahead of it. And, you know, cough syrup won't even help you with coronavirus, but they didn't know that at that point. They're just doing whatever they can, like you said, to alleviate their fears. And so that was a moment for us, you know, that we, we got a little bit judgmental of like, what are all these morons doing, hoarding everything? Don't they understand that this is a detriment to society? Like, just take what you need. And if we all take what we need, we'll all have enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that caused us to go, all right, you know what? We're resisting this whole experience and just creating suffering for ourselves. Why not just have compassion for the world in this moment? Yeah. And that's, that's it. Have compassion for the world. Now I'll admit that can be a challenge when you have to inject yourself with a shot for survival. When your medical need dictates needing alcohol pads and you see someone with 10 carts of them just because. So, you know, that, that's one of those struggles that I think spiritual practice helps us to, to develop in and to, not be as fearful and not adopt that lack mentality, recognizing that all things are happening exactly as they should be. And yeah. we're just walking the script out. And in the end, it's all good. You it's know, that's, all good. That's what people have to recognize. And I think you've done a great job with teaching that, uh, talking about the law of one and you know, some other things that you, you've talked about. I want to kind of dive into how it is 
we can embrace our interconnectedness and yet still enfold, I'll say, this American ideal of individual liberty. Are they at odds? Are they compatible? How does this work? Yeah, great question. I feel like that's kind of uh, the next era we're all moving into um, because of the rise of, of certain technologies like the internet, like uh, you know, video conference uh, applications like we're using right now to have this conversation. You know, I'm in Colorado, you're in Las Vegas, but here we are chatting it up like we're in the same room. So there's a lot of technology available to us now that, that has kind of forced us to become aware of our interconnectedness. You know, in the, in the past, there's been lots of pandemics, right, um, all around the world. But we didn't have the uh, internet back then to, to see and, and observe the suffering of those people across the other side of the world. It was just sort of like uh, he said, she said, right? Yeah. And so now that we do have this technology, we have TV, internet, we can connect with anyone anywhere in the world. We can watch anyone in the world. And it's kind of forcing us, I think, to realize that we really are all connected. We're all in this together. And the more divided we want to become, the more we all suffer as a consequence. So I think one of the, um, you know, the, the beauty that will come out of these ashes, so to speak, of the coronavirus pandemic is that it's really uniting our planet in a profound way that's never happened ever on, in the history of this planet. So um, there's a lot of variables that have come together, like I mentioned, and I think that it's, when you look at it from a, a zoomed out perspective, it's kind of a marvelous thing that's going on that uh, you know, source intelligence has put together for us to kind of catapult us into um, what I refer to as fourth density, which is a term from the law of one. Uh, fourth density being kind of the next stage of human consciousness. And fourth density is simply the, the density of love, the density of harmony and unity. And so previously, we've been in third density for a million or whatever years, which is the, uh, the density of self-awareness. So becoming aware of myself as a separate in individual entity, and that caused us to create wars and tribes and genocide and every atrocity anyone's ever committed in the world has been the result of that. And the contrast that's created for us, seeing all this war, all this violence from the separation has now begun to cause us to see that maybe unity is a better option than that, right? Maybe if we come together, we can make a beautiful world. And I think that certain events like this unfortunately kind of have to happen to wake us up to this fact or at least speed up the process that uh, the sooner we unite the, the better and the more we can accomplish. And so I think it doesn't really matter what you're talking about in terms of government or economy. Um, I believe personally that all of it will function dramatically better when we become cohesive and, and harmonized with one another rather than this kind of dog eat dog world we've been living in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's incredible in the span of this one kind of campaign season for a Democratic nominee, a nominee for president, we've seen ideas that were considered radical, far left, unrealistic, right. become like, okay, we've got to write this law right now and get this happening yep. today. It's, yep. it's amazing how quickly a, a revolution can happen I when know. it's required. And I look at this as a reflection of the spiritual realm. And of course, in natural, when you have childbirth, it's immense pain. And right. then there's beauty. And I, I feel like this is that squeeze of pain that will push us towards the beauty. And the, the cool thing is once that baby is here, you, you don't forget the pain, but it doesn't have quite the same uh, cognitive impact or emotional impact. It's like it was worth it. And I right. do think that's where we're going to end up for sure. Great analogy. 
and the pain from the the labor so to speak even serves to make the the new creation even more beautiful and more appreciated right yeah because it was something you invested in in a sense yep so i want to back up in your story and talk about perhaps some pain that you've experienced perhaps that has allowed you to elevate your consciousness and just become more aware and more connected and in tune with real reality. Um, you were in the professional sports world when you started out, I guess, right? Well, I was working as a personal trainer for about eight years. Um, I was uh, working as a signed fitness model and a national level bodybuilder. So I wasn't doing like sports performance or anything, but, but fitness was my whole life. Yeah. And then what happened that took you out of that realm? Because I, I have seen the photos and, you know, all of that on Instagram. And now it's like, we can't even get a nip slip anymore. So what's yeah. <laughs> No more nip slips, man. I, I put that behind <laughs> me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, so what happened was, um, I mean, I've always been deeply spiritual. Um, you know, I grew up a pastor's kid and everything. So even if you go back to a lot of those photos, it's kind of funny, actually, because it'll be like a shirtless modeling picture or something. And the caption is like this long spiritual dissertation, um, which a lot of people do that. But um, it was just a stage in my life where I was making a transition, I think, from what was really my heart's passion and most authentic for me and something that wasn't really super authentic for me anymore. And the reason for that was because I built a Instagram you know, fitness page for so long and I felt like I needed to keep my subscribers happy or whatever. And at some point I just went, you know what, but this isn't what I want. It's not who I am anymore. It doesn't mean anything to me. So I'm just going to make the switch. And, um, that happened because I had, uh, at 2017 in August of 2017, I had this really profound kind of spiritual awakening, uh, while I was at work actually. And, uh, it just <clears throat> changed my perception of everything so dramatically that I kind of just walked out of my life in a way um, I just stopped modeling. I stopped competing in bodybuilding. I stopped posting shirtless pictures, never posted one ever again. Uh, because it just, I, I saw it as um, a, a past version of me I was hanging on to because my ego thought there was value in it. Yeah. People like me because I look good without my shirt on. So I can't abandon that because then I'll lose my, um, where I'm getting my validation from. And once I had that kind of awakening, I realized all of that was an illusion from the beginning anyway. And no part of me was interested in it. So it kind of happened just naturally and effortlessly. Wow, that's incredible. And this just kind of also reveals my ignorance in this realm, because for me, fitness, sports, I don't know the difference. It's all the I same, mean, right? <laughs> I go to the athletic club, I lift the little heavy things and, you know, all stuff. That's about it. So, Well, I can help you out that later if you want. Okay, sounds good, because this... They talk about the quarantine 15. I think I've got the quarantine 50. So. Oh, no. You're looking good, bro. What are you talking about? Yeah, well, we'll talk about that <laughs> offline. <laughs> Maybe you were super skinny before or something. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> good. So that, that awakening experience for you. Tell me a little bit more about that. For, for me personally, uh, coming from a Christian background, I was a, a pastor of an evangelical church. Oh, you know, nice. All of that. And then I realized that wasn't working for me. And it's not that I, I felt anything was wrong with it. It's just, right. I thought that there was more. And I, I right. recognized there were other traditions that had value that, that provided something of substance for my life. And it forced me out of that box. But leaving that box was incredibly painful. Yeah. I lost friends. I lost relationships. I lost income. 
you know, family relations were strained. So, so there was a lot of struggle in that. With your yeah. awakening, did you have any, any challenge in that way? Absolutely, man. I feel like um, my story is probably very similar to yours in a lot of ways. Uh, I was working at a church for one year. Uh, and at 23 years old, maybe 24, I don't know, I quit my job because I was like, I can't do this anymore for all the reasons you listed as well. And I won't go into that. But <clears throat> I moved back to California when I was 26. And because I had come out with, you know, I don't believe this stuff anymore. I don't believe God sends people to hell. I don't believe the Bible is the dictated, you know, feather pen written word of God, like you all believe. That means that I lost pretty much every friend I had. Um, everyone but my mom, dad, and sister in my family kind of just ostracized me. And so, as you know, very well, that creates a lot of suffering. And, uh, and then at the time where I had my awakening experience, I was, uh, I was deeply, deeply depressed. Um, I was in a, a very unhealthy relationship with a, a girl who had a, a borderline personality disorder and we were doing everything we could to help her get it under control, but she just couldn't, couldn't control her moods, changes and her anger and all this stuff. So I was thinking I was being virtuous by putting up with that abuse and hoping I could wait it out till she gets better. And that's going to be a true act of love, right? So I'm dealing with all these variables in my life, feeling hopeless, feeling worthless. Why, why should I even be here? I'm, I have nothing to offer. I'm a loser, blah, blah, blah. So what I was doing was uh, I would go on my break up to a balcony above my gym. I worked at Google actually in Mountain View. Um, so there's this nice balcony above the gym and I would go up there and listen to Eckhart Tolle on my break. And I did that for like three months every single day um, because it was the only thing that would give me some peace listening to him. And then one day, like every other day, no different at all, I was listening to a certain lecture where Eckhart was sort of like mocking stuff the ego says, like, if only people would be nicer to me, then I would truly be happy and stuff like yeah. that. And then the audience would chuckle and he would chuckle and I was laughing as well. And he did like four or five different statements and I laughed harder each time because I was like, yeah, that's exactly what my ego says to me every day, right? And then through that, through laughing about that, something broke in my consciousness where I, I got it. Something in me got it, right? Something beyond the mind woke up and I saw like an image of um, as if I was like showing somebody my mind and I opened the door and said, okay, and here's where I am. This is where I exist. And I flipped the light switch on and it's just a bunch of machinery like running automatically and there's nobody in there. And I'm like, wait a, a second. Program, right? It's a program. I'm supposed to be here. I'm, there's just machines, right? And so it put me in this incredible state of, of stillness and peace. Um, and it's funny cause I, I kind of floated down from the balcony into my gym again to meet my next client after having this profound Nirvana experience. And I'm just like totally still and present and just glowing. And he's like, hey, Aaron, what's going on with you? You look really happy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really happy. And I was in that state for about two weeks, uh, a little over two weeks of just like, it was impossible for me to suffer. I was so dialed in, man. It was incredible. And it was, it was almost like a two-week free sample of enlightenment or something. <laughs> I love that. And what, what brought me out was that um, I realized through that, that innocent, clear perception I had that I was actually being very unloving towards my, my ex at that point by continuing to be in this relationship and let her, her dysfunction keep playing out towards me that actually wasn't loving. And what I should have done was understand that she's in a bad place, our relationship's not functional or healthy, 
and I need to give us space so she can work on herself and I can work on myself. So I broke up with her, um, thinking it was, she was going to be fine with it for some reason. And, uh, mm-hmm. she wasn't, and she was heartbroken and begged me not to go. And all of that kind of brought me back out of that state of consciousness I was in and made me suffer again because I, I felt bad for her pain. And then it was like, Oh, I lost my enlightenment. I screwed it all up. You know, I had my ticket to heaven and I lost it. Um, so from that point on kind of chasing that enlightenment again, um, is where is what's gotten me to where I am today. Um, realizing that that might've just been a peak experience that I had. Who knows? I believe that that's possible to live in that state that I was in, but even if it's not possible, what is possible, what is available to the human being in this lifetime is true, unbroken peace of mind, regardless of the circumstance and true, authentic love, true compassion for all beings in the world, regardless of where they're at. And so that kind of became my mission to, to achieve that. That is so good. And that peak experience, that taste of what is possible, I think can give you hope and fuel when it does feel heavy and dark. And oh, yes. this moment, this, this utter dismayful, making up words here, <laughs> horrible time that we're in, I think we do need to, to look back in a sense, not everything's better, you know, in hindsight, right? But right. look back and remember what we knew was possible and some of the experiences we had, because I can tell you for me personally, I was on an upward trajectory. Everything was going really, really well. Uh, my business was flourishing. I was doing well in my, my relationship and things were just great. And then my entire business had to shut down because it's face to face. I, I, I work with crowds. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. how do you, in, in Vegas of all places. Right. So how do you, you get through that? How do you recognize <clears throat> it's not all lost, but this is part of the journey. Uh, and that's what I think your spiritual practices do mm-hmm. and the teachings that you offer help people to, to make it through these, these changes and go with the flow and recognize that each moment uh, deserves your present attention. And you don't yes. have to live for the future and you don't have to necessarily dwell in the past. You can draw from it, but you don't yes. have to dwell in it. So what are some things people can do starting today to help them <clears throat> to gird up their loins, so to speak, and, mm. and be okay and be at peace even in this difficult time? Well, the, the, the best thing anybody can do is to begin using your own life. Uh, treating your own life as your guru, so to speak, because life is, is filling each and every day with um, almost countless opportunities to transcend, to heal, to evolve, to grow. And so when we stop resisting life, you know, the arrogance of ego is to resist anything that happens that's not totally pleasurable and positive, right? And that's arrogance because you're essentially saying, hey, reality is wrong and I am right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we all do that whenever something unpleasant happens and all we're doing is attacking ourselves, right? We're losing out on an opportunity to level up, so to speak. So when you understand that everything is happening for you, then your attitude towards the flow of your life dramatically begins to change. You begin to see that, okay, the flow of life is always going to be a mixture of pleasure and pain. And it's actually just my resistance towards the pain and my desperate chasing and clinging to the pleasure that causes me to suffer. So instead, the attitude to adopt towards your life is when something pleasurable happens, the, re- the response is simply thank you, gratitude. 
When something painful happens, the response is, all right, what lesson is being offered to me here? What is life asking me to learn? What is life showing me about myself? And so suddenly, no matter what happens, you stop being disillusioned by the surface level, the appearances of like, oh, this circumstance is happening. This person did that to me. And you see beyond it and see, actually, it's just an invitation to freedom, right? Mm. If I can forgive, if I can accept, if I can surrender, then I level up and I integrate more of the, the love, the peace of the divine into my heart. And that's really the whole reason we're here. It's, not, it's never about what's happening on the surface level. But this, what the surface level is, is a little smoke screen that's hiding, that, hiding behind that smoke screen is your, your freedom, your liberation. And so when you know that life is the greatest guru, then you begin treating it as such and you stop resisting what happens to you and instead start using your life experiences to grow. And so I think that's the best thing that anybody can do for their own spiritual growth. As soon as you start making use of your life, uh, your spiritual growth is on the fast track. It really is. That's good. That's really good. And, and I can summarize that as be present, you know, just be, be present. present. So that, wow. Thank you for that. <laughs> now, here's my, my last question for you. And it's, it's one that I've heard way too often in, in this circumstance. And I'm still connected to my roots for sure. And I'm still connected to my community, even though I'm at home. So <laughs> I, I hear this, but there's this, this idea that this is a judgment from God, whether it's, you know, for sin or for any other thing. Uh, some people put it as planet Earth is killing the virus and we're the virus. You know, there's all of these ideas that mm. this, is, this is happening to us right. instead of for us, as you've mentioned earlier. But it, it's happening because God wants to, to teach us something or to correct us or hurt us. What are your thoughts right. on that? Yeah. Well, again, I think there's projection happening, right? I think uh, this is something we used to say in the church, actually. Um, you always become like the God you believe in, right? Yeah. So, you know, the type of fundamentalists who believe in an angry, wrathful God, um, they become angry, wrathful people, don't they? Mm -hmm. So I think that anyone who's saying those types of things, you know, projection means that everything everything you experience, it has to come through your own filter, your own internal reference frame, right? This is the only filter I have to perceive reality through. I can't perceive reality through Will Rucker's mind. Only you can do that. Mm -hmm. So that means that whatever somebody says or does is a 100% reflection on their state of consciousness. And that's also where forgiveness comes into play. Forgiveness means recognizing that, right? Yeah. Stop taking someone else's actions personally upon yourself. It has nothing to do with you. Their actions always and only reflected them and where they're at. And so when you see that, the natural response is forgiveness because you just recognize, oh, there was actually nothing to forgive, right? You can't hurt me unless I believe you can. Unless I make your insanity my insanity, you can't hurt me. So if I forgive you, I release myself from the karma of that interaction. And so when someone is saying things like you've mentioned, God is judging us, blah, 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 blah. That to me, that's just a reflection that they judge themselves very harshly too, right? right. And um, then they project that viewpoint onto God and say, well, God must be doing it too. So kind of like I mentioned in the beginning, I think it's all a great opportunity for us all to have introspection and reflection of, is there part of me that believes that? 
Does, is there a part of my, maybe my religious conditioning that's still hanging on somewhere that is a bit afraid that maybe this is the judgment of God? Um, those kinds of questions are what we want to ask in this time. And I think that that's all we can do because change can't happen by us trying to point the finger at others and blame others, right? Um, there's a great quote that says, you can't end war by, um, you know, angrily protesting or opposing war, but only by loving peace, right? Right. So our change collectively will only happen if we as individuals begin taking the onus upon ourselves and doing the work on ourselves to change first. I think this is a moment for us to wage peace instead of waging war. I like that. Wage wellness. And there you go. Fighting the, the invisible enemy as it's being dubbed. Wage right compassion. Wage compassion. That's going to be our hashtag for the episode. Yes. <laughs> wage compassion. There we go. Great. Thank you for that. I want to close out with having people get in contact with you. How can they follow you? What's your YouTube channel? Where are you? Help us connect with you. Yeah. Uh, you can find me anywhere just by using uh, slash Aaron Abke. So youtube.com slash Aaron Abke at Instagram, Facebook, uh, website, AaronAbke.com. Try to keep it simple. <laughs> hey, it helps to have a unique name too, right? It definitely does. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the podcast and to be a blessing to Las Vegas and the world. My final question for you is simply, how are you embodying compassion in the world today in one or two sentences? One or two sentences. Um, I would definitely say what I forgive in myself, I forgive in another and so kind of like I mentioned in the beginning, compassion for me always starts with having compassion for myself. If you cannot have compassion for yourself, you can't have it for anyone else. We'll leave it there. Thank you, Will. It's been a pleasure. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by the Jameson Foundation in partnership with the Moonrich Group. There are so many amazing, amazing things happening, and so many people have inspirational stories to share. So if you are one of those people, this is your platform. Email me at will at winningwithwill.com using the subject line Compassionate LV and let me know your story. I'd love to have you on the show or to feature your story in a future episode. Be sure to subscribe, and if you haven't already, leave a five-star review. Your review and rating helps others to find this podcast and helps to further the mission to make Las Vegas a more compassionate place to live, work, and play. Today, Aaron encouraged us to wage compassion. Are you up for the challenge? Tell me how you plan to wage compassion in your five-star review and share your compassionate practice that we can all adopt. In case you didn't know, Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast, is now on YouTube. If you want to not only hear the incredible stories, but see the storytellers, join us on YouTube. Just search Compassionate LV Podcasts with Will Rucker and the channel will pop right up. Love and compassion aren't luxuries, they are necessities. Live the golden rule and treat others the way you would want to be treated. Together, we can make a difference. Together, we will make the world a more compassionate place. Know that you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. 
Be well, my friends. And we will meet again on the next episode of Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. And now, here is a very special rendition of Coldplay's Fix You. Enjoy. Three, two, one, and clap. scared. I'm only going to look at the positive things. We can learn from this and make this road a little better. I'm taking the opportunity to get to know myself and become a better person. We will be better people. We will value more the simple things of life. Everybody can make a difference. We hope this passes soon. We are unbeatable. I can't wait for the day that I can hug my family again. Stay strong. May we never stop helping each other and being there for each other, even after this corona is over. Things will get better. Take good care. We will see the light really soon. Amen to peace in the world. Let's celebrate our humanity. We're going to come out stronger and better. We will get through this together.